I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Indeed, the name is Nuanda. We're back, baby. It is MK. Morning Combat Monday, August 23rd, 2021. I am the BBE with that BDC or a couple letter combinations mixed up there. I'm beige. They call me Brian Campbell, CBS Sports and Showtime. Uh, We don't need no stinking co-host, okay? We are that co-host. Luke Thomas still for the final day on vacation. Got two weeks in 2021, but uh, did see some of the picks. Much love to him and the family. Um, He'll be back this week. Look, it's a big week in the life of combat sports and the life of morning combat. Luke Thomas, your boy BC, hitting the ground running on Wednesday. Cleveland, Ohio, for all things Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley. Of course, the pay-per-view goes down Sunday night, this Sunday, August 29th, Showtime pay-per-view. You're not going to want to miss that, and we will be uh, hot and heavy in your face this week, hosting a numerous amount of uh, streaming events, live interview shows, live MK, room service diaries. Heck, we may have around and post the best damn documentary we've done in this documentary series so far. Shout out to Less Than Jake, our documentarian. So, should be a fun week. We got some fun fightage from over the weekend also to look back upon. Um, please like and subscribe this video. I know some of you don't like when we grovel for subscriptions to get up to that 100,000 uh, base. Look, it's, you know, it's cool. Like I, like I tell you, I'm in it for the art of this thing. You know, I don't care if we get another subscription, but a lot of people that work on the show do and that work above us. So let's keep that train moving. Um, you know, you can, you can listen to other podcasts. That's fine. But who do you love? That's the question, right? If you love us, uh, help us win these awards too. I believe you can go to world slash something. And uh, you can vote for Morning Combat for Best MMA Programming slash Nominees. Thank you, Gav, for uh, this this calendar year. It'd, it'd be, uh, be an interesting event if your boys crashed the party, right? No sleeves, right? California Pinot League style to this red carpet affair. Tipped Canada upside down and stood on that mountain. It's, 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 look, it's in play. It's a possibility, right? We underdogs? I've been an underdog my whole life, and I'm still hosting this show solo right now. Who would have thought, right? And And, you know, you could say... Why did you do this, BC? Luke's not even here. We're kind of just barely putting the putting the ragtag skull and you know bag of bones out there onto the field. Um, we could have mailed it in. There was a hurricane that turned into a tropical storm, thankfully, in the past 24 hours. Luckily, in CT here, uh, we didn't lose power. We're doing good. Shout out to my fellow New Englanders, though, with trees through the house and some some legitimate um, bad issues. But it turned out well. So uh, why not? Why not do a show? Okay. Why not give you? what you need, what you came here to get, okay? You know, the Ariel and company back in your life with the MMA Hour. Great show, by the way. But, uh, you know, I don't want to be back in your life, right? I want to be your life. Remember that great Lemonhead song off the It's a Shame About Ray album? You know, I just want a bit part in your life. No, I want the whole damn thing, okay? 
You can listen to I'm not, you know, I'm not jealous. You can listen to the other shows. But at the end of the day, who gets you? Right? Right? Are you listening to this show because you're helping us out on our on our journeys? Or are you you listening to it because you can't stop? Yeah, right? So keep that up. Keep that going. Um I did hear people say, you know, be careful, BC. You know, you can't always control that BDE. You may be running Luke Thomas out of this job if you keep up these solo shows doing so well. And you know what? I'm not afraid of that. I'm not trying to take Luke Thomas down, all right? Am I trying to one-up him? You're damn right, every single show. You're going to come? Come on, right? Right? I mean, here's the deal. I'm not trying to take Luke's job. But if I don't come you know, to the field and act like I'm, I'm trying to, like I'm ready to, we can't have morning combat. It can't be the best damn show in the game today, okay? Luke alone, very successful. 100,000 subscribers, plaques on the wall. Also very safe. Tastes the same, right? It's like a cruise ship by day six, right? Everything really kind of tastes the same, okay? Um, I'm bringing it the best I can. I'm unleashing this BDE today because if I don't do that, I'm not getting the best out of Luke Thomas. I'm not making it a little dangerous for him, you know? And I like danger. At least in, not in my personal life. Pretty boring in my personal life. But in front of the camera, I like pleasure spiked with pain. And MK is my aeroplane. So uh, be seated. The captain is here. We already knew that coming in, right? I know some of you a little nervous that, uh, you know, hey, he's a fun captain. But if he's running the show alone, then you, you may, he may run us into the ground. He may run us away from this show with art so experimental, so abrasive, that they're not ready for it, right? But uh, like one Sully Sullenberger, maybe a rocky ride. But I'll, I'll land safely. I'll put it right in the fucking Hudson River, okay? Right in the middle, right? Right? Okay? So uh, not everybody can do this. You know, if you're, if you're a nursing mother, if you got heart issues, this show, uh, you know, I wouldn't try this at home. You know, you may, you may lose your job. Damn right may lose yourself. But the reason why I'm not afraid to do that is because... You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to go. All right. Opportunity. Want some light mom spaghetti, right? So let's bring it. Let's bring it hard. Let's do this thing. You want 30 days free of Showtime? Why the heck would you not? Okay. Showtime.com slash something. And what you'll get right there is a free trial. 30 days boxing. The only place in the States to watch Bellator MMA. Great documentaries. The UFO one. Get on that. Movies and more. Um, if you don't like it at the end of the 30 days, dude, pound that shit. Pound the sand. Go home. We don't need you. Okay. We'd like you. We don't need you. I said we. You notice that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, that's the uh, intro, oddly enough, awkwardly enough. Shout out to our great listeners who are keeping us afloat while Luke's away. The, the BC will play, but he's going to come back, and, and we're going to bring it. So get ready for that. Shout out to Bill and Jen, RV Adventures. Uh, we see you. We see you. You're living the American dream. Like Luke says, two of the greatest living Americans today. Why? Because they had the balls. To put it all on the line, you know, they had the cojones to uh, to go live the dream and document the American life on the road, national parks, you know, work by day in the in the, in the uh, RV there, Jen, while while Bill fixes shit, but play by night, and uh, we're enjoying the picture. So great work! Uh, shout out to Josh Montgomery who just came back from the Jason Isbell concert. I, I hear you, bro. Top shelf stuff. Uh, Web scream. Hopefully your infant son doing well. Thank you for this poster again. Yes, that is me, by the way. Okay, apropos, right? Two man journey, right now. One man's not coming. It's just me. It's just BC. All right? Let's do it. Let's get through this war. Let's hit it up. Why don't we do the rock away and lean right? Because it's time for your top five topics of the weekend in combat sports. And we kick off 
with the big one on Saturday night. Hopefully you caught our instant analysis with your boy BC immediately after. But it was Upset City in Las Vegas, the PBC on Fox pay-per-view. Your Dennis Ugas defending his WBA welterweight title against the living legend himself, the ageless wonder, 42-year-old Manny Pacquiao. But ageless is an interesting word. It's the word we sort of use to praise Pacquiao coming in. How the hell is he still doing this? What is this doing to his legacy? You know, to a degree, age is, is the outgoing narrative, too. It's not the prevailing one, though. The prevailing one is that your Dennis Ugas got the biggest opportunity in his life, 11 days' notice, and he hit, he hit the ball of the fence. He absolutely came in and exceeded the expectations that we thought put forth the best, most complete performance of his career and did so by leaning on his strengths. He took chances. He had to, I mean, to stand in front of Manny Pacquiao with a high guard and be responsibly enough defensively to not get picked apart on his feints and his explosive combinations. That takes something. Yes, he's a big welterweight. Yes, Manny's a small one. Played a big factor. Yes, so did the length. But I say age part of this because I think, you know, 60-40, 60% of this fight was that your Dennis Ugas was the wrong opponent to fight on 11 days notice at age 42 coming off a two-year layoff. But the other 40% has to be said. You know, age has caught up with Manny Pacquiao, or at least age mixed with inactivity, which I think was a big part of this. Because you look at the Manny who, let's remember, when he lost to Jeff Horn in that controversial fight, we thought he was old and washed. We didn't take into account maybe not a great training camp, the, the, you know, the travel to Australia. I, I don't know if he was mentally where he needed to be. But he came back a year later and put together three wins in 12 months. Nearly became your 2019 fighter of the year at age 40. Beat Keith Thurman. We know this, you know, we know this already. But he did it with activity. He was biting off more than he can chew. And he did it for the sake of his legacy. He did it for the sake of the fans. I'm sure he did it to protect the money and the payday and the opportunity. Because, you know, Rafe Bartholomew was on the show last week saying, you know, don't look past the political savviness of Pacquiao to want to potentially run for president of his home country next year and to want to come in there off a big performance and a win that we didn't expect he can get. Now, that was against Spence we didn't expect you he can get. He became the betting favorite against Ugas, rightfully so, about 3-1, to one, because the whole idea was if he can be that Pacquiao from two years ago, it's going to be too much for Ugas, but he wasn't that same guy. It was inactivity. It was the legs cramping up due to age. And again, it's the wrong fighter to have those things come together on short notice. A guy who's technically strong will, will, will play his one note and play it well, although I'll give Ugas a lot of credit for the adaptions he made to that. You know, he wasn't one note in a sense. There was a lot of nuances to that note. And when he mixed in things like those sidearm uh, body shots and the looping right leads against the southpaw, he fought a great fight. He deserves to have one. He deserves to get a big opportunity. I mean, who knows? We might, we might see Ordenis Ugas next against Errol Spence Jr. for three of the four welterweight titles. I mean, that's a, it's a big fight. Would it be exciting? Well, well <laughs> it's going to be a technical chess affair. But this one was exciting because even though Ugas neutralized Pacquiao, Pac, he was willing to pour out what was left. I mean, he didn't necessarily go, you know, gonzo for the knockout. But he also didn't get physically dominated. He got outpointed. He got outthought. And this is a great performance for Ugas. And, you know, the question falls to what's next for Pacquiao. Um, he says he'll have a month to about figure out if he will run for president. You talk to people like Rafe Bartholomew. By the way, if you don't know Rafe's backstory, uh, you know, 
New York Times bestselling author, had done a lot of study in the, in the Philippines uh, when he was at Northwestern, had a scholarship to go out there, wrote a book on the, the pride and tradition of Filipino basketball, lived in the Philippines, knows, you know, uh, a ton about what's going on there. You know, he says Pacquiao's not expected to win the election if he runs, but he is pretty much expected to run uh, next year. What could that mean for his career moving forward? I know he said in, in a very humbly after the fight that he's like 60-40 right now, 60% toward retirement, 40% towards fighting again. It's the passion. He still wants to fight, but he's realizing maybe the body's not reacting there. But I think there's some problems in the belief that Pacquiao won't fight again. Uh, a couple of them. First and foremost, he loves it too much. He freaking loves this. This is who he is. You talk to people that know Manny Pacquiao. Yes, he does great charitable work in the senator in the work to help his community as a senator and all that stuff. But he kind of also in his free time just. It's like like a teenager just wants to play hoops, have his buddies around. You know what I mean? Have a, you know, helps people. He's a great guy, but like, there's a simple quality to who he is. He just loves to fight, like the same way when he was a you know, fighting to survive on the streets, uh, selling stuff, and and got a chance to to make a run as a potentially professional fighter, and and constantly just kept climbing that ladder in such hugely incremental ways to have this ridiculously legendary career, and the fact that. I think he can make excuses as to why he didn't get the best out of himself for this fight. The layoff, the last minute, all that. I mean, look, this is, a wrong, this is the wrong opponent, a technical marvel, you know, bronze Olympic medalist from the Cuban school. Wrong opponent to kind of just wing it. And again, like, that's why he's Manny. That's why for the first time, seriously, Manny felt like the Grateful Dead coming back to tour. It felt like there were so many people that's just like, oh, man, I get one more chance to see Manny. I know he's going to deliver. He's always going to face somebody tough, and he's always going to freaking bring it. So there was almost like this... This could be it thing. And, and who knows, right? But I think the passion mixed with the fact that he wasn't physically bodied and handled. He wasn't knocked out. He'll be back. And I think specifically if he loses the election. Now, Freddie Roach says if he thinks if Pacquiao wins the election, that would be the final fight. He would want to fight one more as president. But I think it's even more likely if he loses, he's going to, what is he going to do next? Carries a large entourage. He gives away a lot of money. Um, there are people like Amir Khan. He can go in there and make a big fight against a knockout, guaranteed. Or he could take challenges against others and, you know, convince himself maybe. I, I always felt that Manny's got too much love for the game that he was going to be a candidate to hang on too long and take some tough losses in the end. We're not at that point, though. I hope he doesn't get to that point. But I think you'll see him again. And, um, you know, something I touched on quickly in the incident analysis pod does Pacquiao's performance, which was good in the first half of the fight, right? Scored it three rounds to three. And by the way, Ugas ended up winning by the three judges' scorecards. 7-5-8-4-8-4. That's how I also scored it. Um, in the second half, it's just, you know, Ugas shut down everything, Pacquiao, every avenue. And I think Pac, it's for, for, for opportunity to get back into the fight. And I think Pac was frustrated. I don't think it was a, a lack of stamina. You know, I don't think it was necessarily a lack of, of unwillingness to go for broke because I think he felt that he was in this fight and had a chance to win it on the cards when he went there. But um, does this suggest that it would have been an awful night had, had it been Errol Spence? And I think certainly the footage of seeing that physical version of Manny, yeah, you can say, okay, Spence is more well-rounded than Ugas, certainly. And he might be just as good or better in the categories that Ugas is very good at. I mean, Spence is the real deal. Could Spence have stopped this version of Manny? I mean, it's certainly in play, but something I talked about late Saturday was just, you know, styles make fights. This was the wrong style matchup for Pacquiao to try to do this on last minute and just wing it. Whereas Spence, for as great he is, as he is and well-rounded, uh, we've kind of seen in the past, though, if you, if you learn him. I mean, look, he stuck to a game plan against Mikey Garcia that was I'm going to box from the outside to prove to everybody how much I can box. God, he proved it. <laughs> Good Lord, he proved it. 12 rounds, right? Shut out. Just proved it. 
But, you know, another fight, Sean Porter fight, for example, he got lured into a brawl because he's so great that he can brawl at a super elite high level there. So could Pacquiao have lured him into a little bit of an action fight, which would have given Pacquiao a better chance to hang? I still think Manny's losing no matter what. But I think you need to remember, though, that styles do make fights. Ugas fought the best of his capabilities and then some, and that's the wrong style matchup for this Manny. So uh, interesting to see how we roll moving forward. There's the whole Persbud situation for Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter. Will Porter pull out now, potentially, and just fight Ugas for the title? Who knows? I hope not. I hope we see Porter and Crawford next. Maybe Ugas and, the, you know, Ugas and Spence when he comes back. You also have Keith Thurman, and I really enjoyed on the PBC on Fox desk, Kay Abdo hosting, but Sean Porter and Keith Thurman, former rivals, they were they were hilarious together. I mean, that was like a buddy cop duo. And, uh, you know, there's always talk of them rematching, which would be a big deal. Some would, they both kind of said, hey, maybe we'll just do it at 154 so we don't have to cut down. I mean, that'd be a great fight to make. But I think for Porter, there, there's some title fights to make too. So it's going to be interesting how the landscape lays out moving forward. But um, you do have to stop, like I mentioned, and celebrate what Manny did give us. He didn't, he didn't cheapen out. He went for the win. He put up as strong a performance as he could. He kept the, the, the train on the tracks and, and the event going and took on the next guy in line who was very dangerous. And uh, that's what legends do. And they don't stress about the loss. So Manny Pack, you'll keep your head held high, to, you know, regardless of what you decide moving forward. So uh, we love you. Look, there's very true legends who have, I mean, it's not that there's never been stuff to criticize in Manny's, you know, personal life or anything. There's, you know, everybody, no one's perfect, but Manny's got a lot of goodwill for boxing fans and boxing journalists and historians. I mean, a lot of goodwill built up and it's rightfully so, uh, you know, all right, good stuff. Let's roll on. Let's get to why a lot of you are here, right? The MMA side of it. And there was a, a UFC fight night car in Las Vegas that on the surface, you may have been able to forget about it in the, um, in the glow of all things Manny Pacquiao's return. But not only was it a really good card, it had specifically two title implicative fights within the top of both the middleweight division and the flyweight division, which we'll get to in a second. But the main event was all about the potential for action here and the winner taking a huge step toward another title opportunity when Jared Cannonier fought Kevin Gastelum. It went the five full rounds, three to two, 49-48 across the board for Jared Cannonier, This is a very good, high-quality win for a guy at 37 who was here to announce on Saturday that that he's not done. And, and, and it's not that anyone thought coming off the loss to Robert Whitaker that he could be done. It's just that when someone meets their ceiling in this game, particularly like him who put through, through such a hard journey to cut from heavyweight to middleweight and figure out how to be great and the commitment to his body uh, that he did to get to that point, you know, he went in there against Robert Whitaker, and, and although he was game at the end in the third round, he had moments and all that, and he never stopped trying to win, you know, he, te technically, he got handled against one of the best of all time. Seriously, one of the, you know, Robert Whitaker. Um, sometimes when a guy hits his ceiling, even subconsciously, they begin chapter two of the career, which is the, the exit, the slow exit. They still make big fights, they can still win big fights, but sometimes that tells them this is as far as you can go. And sometimes without realizing it, fighters sort of accept that and, and become that. Uh, Cannonier, I think, you had 25 minutes to see it here. He went back to the gym and, and figured some things out. His boxing was tremendous in this fight. His defensive boxing, switching stances. You see in the, the, the still there, the threat of the elbow went in close, certainly. But even just the pure boxing of the jab, of switching stances, um, he never... He'll take one big shot at a time. And Gastelum did, you know, mark up his face. Gastelum will land bombs. We know that. 
But Cannonier was so poised, even when he dropped the turning point of this fight in round three, when he dropped uh, Gastelum with that hook. First of all, the balls on this guy, the, the chin, the backbone on Kelvin Gastelum, whatever you think about him. And five losses and six fights, we're going to have a lot to say about what we all think about him. That guy's got a world-class chin. That hook knocks out 80% of UFC fighters. And of the remaining 20%, I'd say 10% are down and they're hurting and they're ready to be finished. And he popped right back up and landed some shots of his own. So I think that showed you that Cannoneer's patience in those moments was, was worthwhile, was smart. And, you know, it, it's always a little dangerous when you're not willing to go to the scorecards because it's not like either one was that close to a knockout. But, you know, there was a part of Cannoneer that, that just was confident heading into the scorecards that he felt he had won at least three rounds. He'd done enough. Now, that's always dangerous. But this was a high-level fight with two guys who realized their positioning in this middleweight title division, and specifically for Gastelum, who you could argue really couldn't afford another loss, elite or not. Um, they were willing to, you know, to go after it to a level where they didn't leave themselves open to be finished. So this was interesting because... Cannoneer's ceiling before this, and we saw him hit that ceiling, or so I thought, like I just said, against Whitaker, was that, you know, he's powerful enough to get out the BB-plus guys, A-minus guys. He has enough power where he could stumble into a title, and I don't mean stumble accidentally. I mean, he's powerful enough where I think we all believe he could knock somebody out and win a title, like, like a Jessica Andrade, who I got nothing bad to say about her, but it's more power than anything else, and she did win a title, and, and shout out to her for doing that. And she was powerful. She slammed Rose on her head, and she's knocked other people cold, you know, in, in a women's division that you don't t typically see that. But I think for Andrade, though, if, if a technician can handle her and avoid that big one, then there's the levels, right? And I don't, I don't think, at least I, I didn't think Cannoneer could outpoint an elite like this. And I know the kickback reactions. BC, good God, you haven't gotten to your Gastelum breakdown yet, but if Gastelum loses five out of six... You can't say he's a lead. I mean, at some point at the end of the day, right, Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. And I hate that phrase because it's so true. It's so, it's so like, you know, in my head, I'm an athlete, right? I play old guy hoops once a week when it's not COVID. I, I've, I've run. I've run the shitload of 10Ks, and I got into serious marathon training. It didn't get to end up getting to run the marathon, unfortunately, but I put through that training camp, if you will, uh, for lack of a better term, and, and it was grueling as shit. I still think like... I'm an athlete and a runner. But the majority of my day-to-day -day life suggests I'm not. So, you know, looking in the mirror, getting the black liver test from the, uh, from the old uh, family doctor, so to speak, right? Like you are what, you're, what the mirror in some ways says you are or what your old body says you feel like. Um, but yet again, against an elite foe, Gastelum put on an elite performance. Now, there was holes and flaws with his performance, but it was elite. And to see Cannoneer, a guy who I like, okay, if he's going to beat the elites, he's going to have to knock him out. No, I, I saw a change here. I saw him raise his game to, a, to another level and realize that he had to based on what he learned from that Whitaker fight. And that's, that's great to see, especially at a guy who's 37. But as you can see, he's in sick shape. And he put out 25 minutes of cardio. Um, I don't think Jared Cannoneer has had his last say in this division. Now, given the historic qualities of the top of this division with Adesanya and Whitaker there, not to mention some of those other scary players, do I believe Jared Cannonier will win the championship? No, I don't. But I believe that he's going to have a say again. He's going to get himself in another fight, maybe his next fight. That's either a number one contender's fight or, or, or you know, wins that and maybe gets another title. So he'll have his say again is what I'm trying to say. He's not done improving, and that was great to see. Um, sliding over to Gaslam for a second. It's humbling. 
It's humbling for a guy like me who constantly sticking up for him because we're seeing elite perform. I'm sorry, we are. Okay, sometimes playing to the level of your competition, yes, or playing to the style too much. He's he's too much of a follower in the cage normally, not not in this fight per se, but normally, where it's like whatever pace you're putting out there, whatever energy you're putting out there, maybe except for the Adesanya fight, which is the best you know distillation of him, if you will. Um, he'll react to what the opponent's doing rather than set the terms. The thing I loved about his performance on Saturday night, which, by the way, I did also score three rounds to two for Cannoneer. First two for Gastelum, by the way, but that knockdown in round three did turn the tide. And, uh, you know, I don't think Gastelum ever got over that hump. But for a lot of this fight, Gastelum was setting a very good tone. He did a lot of what I sort of said coming in that I need to see out of him. I, I, I believed in the work he put in with Henry Cejudo that that helped him see the sport a little bit differently. I loved his boxing. He got out with the jab, with foot movement, and with a way to really not just look to counter with the big left hand and just be that big one-punch chance, but the guy who was taking the fight to Cannoneer and he was able to set up some really good combinations. And although I mentioned earlier that the best part about Cannoneer's defense is he never really was taking more than one shot at a time. And that's largely true. Even though Gaslam was letting go some powerful combinations, some of that was getting blocked. And maybe that's, you know, ultimately why Cannoneer got the win here. But I think another big reason why Gaslam did not get the win, and you saw the rightful frustration in his face after the scorecards were read, after putting in what looked like a great camp, and, you know, he's ready to just go... He's it was like this is becoming like Tin Cup. Remember the final scene in Tin Cup, Kevin Costner? It's like he could have laid it up and and had a chance, but he's like, no, I gotta I gotta make this shot. You know, I got I gotta go for it. That was sort of the Gaslam's mentality in taking this fight, although he wasn't putting out a reckless game plan. But there's something that Daniel Cormier teased at right around round three, but I don't think the broadcast for my taste hammered down on it enough. What lost this fight for Kelvin Gastelum was although it put out an elite effort from, from the boxing standpoint, there was no threat of the takedown. I know he tried seven takedowns, and credit to Cannoneer, who stuffed them all, but first three or four takedown attempts looked more like, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, oh, I have a quota I have to fill. My coach told me to. I have to take... You know, they looked like he was just trying to get the takedown attempts in, and then he got stuffed, and by the end, it just looked like Cannoneer was, was you know, seeing them coming, and, and to his credit, stopped that. But Gastelum doesn't have that completely well-rounded game on a consistent basis where he's giving you that threat of the takedown that would make his striking even more crisper and even more powerful and valuable. It's still, although it was good boxing and good movement, just like he used against Adesanya, by the way, not more traditional boxing. He was more of a counter-striker there, but he was almost doing Pacquiao-like rushes in with, with, with combinations and, and coming, and he was dangerous from the outside. Um, it was still a little bit one-note heavy, even though that note had some variations in the boxing. There was no threat of that. And I think in a close tactical fight here, that was the difference. He wasn't able to to uh, disguise that or have that threat at least out there. So, you know, you are what your record says you are. And I want to defend Gaslam as I always want to do. You know, am I still so high from being there at UFC 36? Yes, for life, brother. You better believe it. Anyone else that was blessed to be there or sit next to me for Joanna and Whaley or any other classic fight or performance we've seen, it does, you do, it, it's a part of you, you know? We're fans at the end of the day. It's a part of you. It can affect your decision-making as an analyst, but yet I still seeing almost perfect, and I don't mean perfect performances from the standpoint that there was perfection in the cage, but perfectly well-rounded, all the categories clicked. I'm not seeing that for Gastelum, but I know it's in there. But at some point, five losses out of six fights, 
I'm not saying he's going to get cut, nor should he get cut. But he's got to make some serious decisions that go beyond, should I consistently match myself as hard as I, as I have been? When you're somebody like Manny Pacquiao who's doing that, but you're largely winning, it's sort of like we can stand here and salute. But if you're doing that and losing, I, I could see the frustration. He's close. He's freaking close. I mean, wouldn't you? I, I mean, no disrespect to his team, but like, if he's going the, the distance of, of reaching out to, to Cejudo, maybe it's a better fit for him to, to change up camps and to do somebody like the captain, Albert Racine, and get deeper into that. And it's nothing against his team now, but, but he needs some kind of change because he's not elite. The record says speaks for itself. He's he's close. He shows he shows flashes, but he's always shown those flashes. So I guess I'm gonna have to stop defending him. It's like when you're in high school, in in like you know, there's this kid that you want to be friends with, but your parents are like, nah, I don't know about that kid. You know, that's that's unsafe there. And you know, and you want to defend the kid, but he keeps showing up in the police blotter in the local town paper. You know, and you're like, no, mom, you don't understand. That he's good. He's got a good heart. You know, Dylan's a real good kid, right? I know his dad's in jail. And somehow for a high schooler, he lives on his own in his own house. And his mom's some weird sort of gypsy hippie off in the desert. And his dad eventually blows up. And he's got this weird on and off again relationship with Brenda. And he's also cheating on her on the side with Kelly. And he's got really an adult hairline for a guy in high school, although very solid sideburns. And maybe he's keeping in such close friendship with that goody two-shoe Brandon because he believes he's getting close enough to something that he knows he's missing on the inside. Maybe all that's true. But mom and dad, Dylan's a pretty good guy at the end of the day. Kelvin Gastelum looks like a freaking elite fighter when he's in there against elite guys, but he not winning them. So you got to figure that out. I don't know. It, we're, we're, we're past that point of just, you know, something's got to change now. Love him. Uh, Cannoneer did admit afterwards, uh, I need the money. I can't wait for the for the Whitaker Adesanya rematch, which may be pushed off to 2022, as we've talked about with the COVID conditions in the oceanic region. Um, maybe he'll have to, and he, he can't wait that long financially. And it's interesting. I, and I don't think he's, he, he said that to sort of stir up the fighter pay thing and the, you know, the Cheyenne Bays when she was very, very honest a couple weeks back and, and sort of get us into that discussion per se. He's just saying the reality of the situation, which I think echoes the Misha Tate headline that had some run last week where she said she basically spent her entire paycheck plus win bonus for her UFC return on training. And it's like, you know, you can certainly say, well, you didn't have to invest that much in yourself, but you kind of do when you get to this level, you kind of do you know, it's the, the at this level, we're talking about this with Gaslam, right? At this level, the, the difference between being a contender and a pretender, the difference between being a Michael Johnson, who's like the best guy with a bad record. We had the debate last week, like with Randy Couture, who's the, who's the best fighter we've ever seen with a kind of a crap record? Well, Michael Johnson, a guy that we all know has those flashes of being elite. Gaslam's another one of those guys. The difference, though, is so damn close that... I mean, look, UFC's got a hell of a pay structure model because not only does it keep the pay down and allows them to expand, it keeps the hunger high because everybody desperately wants to get to that 1% level of being a consistent headliner and getting pay-per-view money and getting that championship level pay so badly that they're willing to risk it all because you have to risk it all to be at this level. And it's, it's, it's humbling. It's sobering. I wish it wasn't the case, you know? I wish Jared Cannon there didn't say, yeah, I kind of have to come back in four months against hopefully somebody in a number one contender position where I can secure another title shot. He doesn't want to fight somebody less than that, but he may end up for all we know because you got to cash some checks and it's, it's not cheap with the 
with the camp, with the nutritionist, with all that, all that shit. Nor should it be. But, you know, it's what you got to do. It's what you got to do to be the best, right? Okay? You know? I, I can't keep saying I want to eat better. I got to protect this liver. I must protect this. I'm protecting morning combat today, okay? While Luke Thomas is flying home. But uh, I got to do more than that. I got to protect this liver too, okay? All right. All right, people texting me. I got a, I got a live show here. I got a live show, okay? All right, here we go. Uh... Good shit on that UFC Vegas main event, but it wasn't the only thing that was entertaining. Look, a card that I think overachieved a bit. We saw some some fantastic highlights on the undercard knockouts that we'll see certainly in today's Have You Seen the Shit with Solo BC, but the performances were intriguing. Let's go right to that co-main event where Mark Ma- Mark O'Madson, excuse me, at th- age 36, we know the decorated Olympic Greco-Roman wrestling backbone th- background. This was a very key fight for him against Clay Guida to try to... I think on per- on paper, the narrative for me was to try to show us, are you going in the right direction on this late late transition from amateur wrestling to MMA and the full-time commitment? You know, can you be down the road a, a top 10 player? Well, he's going to have to win this fight against Clay Guida. And what I didn't focus on or really necessarily have the full knowledge of is, is, is how this was more than just, you know, I need to look great against Guida to move up and get closer to those rankings. It, it was a lot of a personal intense journey for Madsen that included um, his wife being diagnosed with MS and, and, you know, really being motivated to, to fight, to honor her and encourage her in, in her fight. And also the, you know, coming back for the broken jaw in his last fight. So you saw the emotion afterwards as Marco Madsen took a split decision in a very high spirited fight. You know, the, the energy put out was huge and it, and it you, you know, that's going to happen in a clay Guida fight only, I didn't think it would go the way it did. I thought Guido was going to be the one setting the pace. And instead, it was Madsen constantly setting the pace. In fact, it was Madsen largely eschewing his strength, which is wrestling. He went for two takedowns. He got stuffed both times. And he was committed to strike. It was almost like Crone Gracie against Cub Swanson. He was committed no matter what to strike. And he set a hellacious pace that Guido certainly equaled in terms of movement. But also, despite needing to move because Madsen was coming after him, was much more of a counter striker, and his counter boxing was was on point, and it became a, a very interesting fight. High speed, um, decently high technique, not a ton of action, although uh, Guida's face got marked up. But Madsen did enough in the end. I thought he deserved the win. It was very close. I thought he elevated what we thought of him coming in, certainly in terms of his striking, and he certainly, like I mentioned, overly committed to show us that. But even though this is a huge win for him emotionally and personally, I'm still not sold that his ceiling is of, and look, he's in a very deep lightweight division, so it's not easy to begin with, but I don't think his ceiling is going to be as a top 10 fighter. And it, and it's, I, I don't want to damn him for gutting out a great win and, and take anything away from what it meant to him. And I don't want to take anything away from Guido, who, I mean, at 39, to still be this tough of an out in this game, Man, you got to, you got to, I mean, look at some, like what Diego Sanchez did for that short run at the end of his career recently, where he put together some wins, like, whoa, whoa, you know, to be able to be relevant, to be a Jim Miller, to be able to stay that long, you win some, you lose some, a Matt Brown, I mean, you've got to, you've got to work at this age to adapt, adapt and evolve. And that was a strong performance for what is left of Clay Guida. But if Mark Will Madsen's going to be a legitimate top 10 threat in this division, I, I, I think he's got to finish Guido or take him down and control large portions of this. And I think he got away from his strength too much. And that's why it was such a close fight. And you can argue, well, was, you know, what about Guido's takedown? If I, yeah, it looked strong in those two stops, but you know, Madsen 
kind of got rid of the, again, the threat of that takedown and just committed to punching. And maybe it helped him gain the confidence and evolve and grow. But I feel like against the top 10, he's going to knock the hell out. And, I, and that's, that, that's not me wishing for it or, or being necessarily reckless here. But I, ju I just see the holes there where I mean, I'm mean i not trying to sound like Joe Rogan talking to Shab here, but uh, um, I got some fears there, even though it was a strong step forward and everything going on in his personal life. And again, Guida giving us the gutty performance like we think. Uh, the bigger story, though, was, was a little bit deeper on that undercard, opening up the main card. This flyaway bout between Alexandre Pantoja and Brandon Royval was high theater for about a round and a half, however long it lasted. Uh, Pantoja came out like a freaking savage. Why? Because he had to keep up with what he knew was coming back from him. A typically animal savage pace from Brandon Royval, who never stops moving, adapting. What we got, particularly in the first three, four minutes, was just scramble after reversal after mad scramble. This was fun. has shit to watch. The, the new strawweight division, flyweight division, I'm, I'm going to say that wrong, right? I'm going to screw that up. The new flyweight division, post-DJ, now post-Sahudo, who was a transitionary champion in a way, but, you know, certainly we can do the narrative of, of he saved the division. You might've, he might've saved the damn division. But post him, what we got from Figueredo to Moreno to Askarov, I mean, Cara France, these guys, these guys bring it. These guys freaking bring it. Uh, Pantoja brought it early. Royval made adjustments, almost had that, you know, that leg submission going. He started to get going on the, on the just batshit pace. And you saw Pantoja... Digging in and punching with him, which on paper probably wasn't his smartest strategy, but there were pockets that he needed to gain back that respect. And for him to operate at that level of high shit, back crazy pace and reversals and adaptions and change. I mean, this was high level stuff. Um, and then get the finish, as you're seeing there in the picture. Holy crap. And to put that rear naked in and take his back so quickly and then crank the neck to this, you know, that angle. Uh that's some nasty shit. So first of all, what I want to say about Pantoja is I certainly do not consistently give him the respect he deserves. I looked at him previously as a, I don't want to say, not a bit player, a supporting cast player, though, of this larger picture. Yes, he's had some, some really awesome wins and, and at times lost to some of the super elites, and that's why he was just recently out of that title picture. Uh, he's back in it in a big freaking way. And he also, I don't have Luke Thomas here as your you know resident um American Idol Judge Tat referee here, but uh, he with that left arm sleeve, he might have with Josh Emmett, with some of these other rare guys in this shitty sport of tats, um, some of the best ink we're seeing in the UFC. So if that means anything, probably not. Shout out to Pandoja. The larger picture, though, is he may have just earned himself a title shot. In fact, I think he did. And to see him in the interview afterwards with Brandon Moreno, who was in the apex for uh, UFC's, uh, you know, a Spanish commentary team, then you remember the history, which again, you know, have I seen them when they fought the official time when they fought a couple years back? Yeah, I remember. I, I've seen that fight, but like offhand, I don't, I didn't really remember what happened. It was just sort of like another flyweight fight that was pretty good. I enjoyed it. But, you know, I, again, I, I wasn't investing as close, I guess, as I needed to in Pantoja's development to see that he's got two victories over the current champion. The one, of course, the submission win during their ultimate fighter season, but then to come back and get that unanimous decision victory a couple years back. Uh, there's a storyline here, and this fight's going to be awesome. I know, uh, Good old Figgy, my boy, is uh, is mad that he's not getting next. But you're gonna have to go back to the drawing board, not for long, but for you know for another big fight to get a big win to bounce yourself back in here. That's just the way this works. This division's hot. It's fun. Askarov's looming, dude. That guy's that guy's gonna want to be heard from, and he's already had some really high level fun fights. Um, 
But Pantosha's coming, man. I mean, this is a little reminiscent, although not as destructive and consistent with the finishes, but a little reminiscent, at least for my representation of where their stock was for what Charles Oliveira has done in the past few years. And another guy who I was like, I'm watching it. I'm seeing it. I'm still a little late. I'm officially hearing it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I can hear Jimmy, right? Finally, you know, you can't, you can't just listen to that shit. Um, <clears throat> once in a while, we got to take a breath, right? You know, I mean, it's just, you know, you may get a little on you here. A lot of BD floating around this room. A lot of, a lot of, it's very sweaty here. Well, Connecticut, post, post-tropical storm, very sweaty, very, very swampy, but we're dealing with it, okay? All right, so uh, Pantoja Moreno next. Yes, please, 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 okay? Give me that shit. Let's keep it rolling. Also, MMA from the weekend, Friday night's Bellator 265, invading the f- fabulous fight town of Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota? I guess so. All right. Beltor just there a few years back. We're back again. And we were back with a heavyweight main event that had name power, had age, had a lot of combined victories between Czech Congo and Sergei Karatanov. It's really remarkable, to be honest, that they've never fought. I mean, Congo's been in the in Bellator since 2013. Karatanov's been in and out, bounced around, done, done some shit. But uh, we saw him in... I think they put on the best case scenario for this matchup, which, yes, had some of the sort of, I don't want to say nostalgic, because even though these guys have done a lot historically, we're not, you know, we're not, like, aching to see them. But, like, you get them together, you're like, okay, old names we know, they'll probably knock each other out. It lived up to best case scenario in terms of theater, and it was Congo controlling the action early, like he often does against uh, bigger punchers with his length. But he was getting a little too willing, I thought, at the end of round one to put his back to the cage and work off of there. Can't do that against Karatanov. He hits too hard. And I think if you study closely, although it was off the radar, Karatanov in the past year during the pandemic was, was professional boxing. And he scored two wins. And one over, I mean, he's washed. But one over Danny Williams, a guy who once beat Mike Tyson. So um, Karatanov, to his credit, used a a thudding jab and back Congo up and then hurt him. And then he landed this batshit crazy sort of head kick that caught Congo in the eye. I don't know if we're going to see it coming up here soon, but Congo ends up almost turning his back on the action to close round one. He goes back to the corner with eye issues. He's winded. He's hurt. And you're thinking, this is it, man. I mean, he's he was, you know, 12-3 and three coming in in his last 15, but nobody dominates this guy. But in the second round, there's that moment I talked about. In the second round, though, Congo comes furiously back, and he's taking the lead now. He's not backing up to the cage. He's landing right hands, and he had an opportunity here to hurt Karatanov, and I think it meshed perfectly with Sergey fading. Sergey gave a lot in the end of that first round to try to finish Congo when he had him hurt, but Congo got dramatic for us. He hurt Karatanov, dropped him briefly, then took him down, and then quickly took his back, and once he got that rear naked and the seconds are ticking off in round two, and he, and he very smartly leaned all of his body weight forward on top of Karatanov to get that. Now, I know I just kind of gave you the deep play-by-play on the fight, but I think it deserved it. It was fun theater between two old guys, and it was Congo, I think, securing another title opportunity. If you look at this division as a whole, it's not deep. Bader's busy. Valentin Moldovsky's your new, uh, you know, interim champ who just beat a, the guy who was last to beat Congo by split decision and Tim Johnson. Johnson's going the Fedor route. I think you make Moldovsky Congo next for the interim title. I think you do. And Czech showed you he can be vulnerable. God, God, he's 46, right? You know, but he's still smart and efficient. And when he needs to, he can find drama. And how much did he pour out of himself? He couldn't get up after the win. Like, really, he couldn't get up. Like, he used it all. So uh, 
if Kartanov didn't get tapped here, round three would have been <laughs> would have been gross as shit. But uh, Congo saving, pulling a win out from the from the jaws of defeat. There, um, good shit, Jack Congo. Love you, brother. Uh, wasn't the Pat Barry, right? Uh, storm and, and crazy finish, but it was pretty crazy, just the same. And um, I love me some Pat Barry. He's uh, engaged to the baddest motherfucker on the planet. You know what I'm saying? The best, the best. Sorry, the best. Yeah, she is the best. Um, let's keep it going here. In this Coleman event, unfortunately, we talked about it. That fight between J.J. Wilson and Adam Boric fell apart. But we're going to get Logan Storley in sort of a prop-up position, featured position in the Coleman event. Logan Storley fighting in his home state. He was a minus 3,500 favorite there against, uh, what's that fellow's name? What the hell's that guy's name? Dante Shiro. You better know Dante Shiro's name now, though. Why? He didn't win. But he did more than survive. He gave Logan Storley fits just by being big, strong, stubborn, uneasy to get mauled. Storley had some big success early wrestling, but it slowed down and it kind of stopped. And we were in a situation where I think his home state was actually booing the third round of this fight because we all saw a frustrated Logan Storley unable to do what he wanted to do coming in. But unfortunately for him, or nearly unfortunate for him, as they were about to read the scorecards, I don't think he adapted or adjusted at all to that. So what am I trying to say here? We all know Logan Storley can wrestle. And he showed the hell out against Yaroslav Amosov, now your welterweight champion in the Bellator banner. Before that was like this number one contenders, almost unbeaten versus unbeaten fight. It, it reminded me a lot on paper of John Jones and Ryan Bader, right? It was like this big deal. And Storley showed that he's of this elite ilk. So when he's going in there against a minus, you know, against a guy who's just a making his Bellator debut in Skiro, who's lost before in the regional circuit, but built himself back up. You expect what? Storley to, you know, bag and tag and ragdoll this guy for sure. Ragdoll, matter and a movie, like no, no chance about it. I also expect Sterling to show some striking. I also expect him to try to finish him with strikes, maybe even on the feet, to show how well-rounded he is so he can get on the microphone afterwards in front of the adoring home fans and be like, what up, Yaroslav? You're going to have to see me again, brother, okay? Let's do I know, I know he wouldn't say that. He's a very, you know, he's a different type of cat, very humble dude. But um, he effed around and got lucky he didn't lose this fight. Split decision win. Um, you saw the frustration. He almost didn't understand afterwards. Didn't understand how it could be that close, but also didn't understand how he couldn't dominate like he thought he could. Um, this is one of those, we got lucky. Let's go back to the videotape and figure out the hell we did wrong here because this, this shit won't fly on the elite level. And I think Storley is of the elite level. So he got, he got lucky there, but the fight, uh, it blew. We thought it was going to be one-way traffic. It was kind of a, uh, it's kind of, you know, dead-end traffic. It was, it was stopped traffic in the end, so... It is what it is. Drink, drink break, okay? Tip your waitresses. All right, as we roll on here, I mentioned it's a big week for combat sports. We know that coming in, brothers. Uh, of course, UFC is back this Saturday night, but the fight card of the weekend goes down Sunday night. Showtime pay-per-view. It is August 29th on your calendar, and it is Jake Paul. Am I, am I sliding for the right reason here, Gav? There we go. Um, Jake Paul, 3-0 as a professional boxer, trying to continue to win and prove that he's legit. The screen went black. Is that on me or is it? I, I believe with the satellite connection, we're still together here. I'll just keep talking, all right? All right, we're having some technical difficulties. You can still hear me, though. Uh, look, it's Jake Paul. It's Tyron Woodley, the former UFC welterweight champion. And it's a big fight 
in the realm, Showtime pay-per-view, Cleveland, Ohio, in the bubble here that has been built up by the Paul brothers and others of celebrity, crossover, social media, circus boxing. But the fun part here is Jake Paul's not trying to be a circus anymore or a circus, you know, performer. Yes, he beat a YouTuber, a NBA retired guy who hadn't fought more than a day, it seemed, and Nate Robinson and then Ben Askren's old hip. Sound to hell, though. So, you know, it's what you have to do. But this is a fight where both guys can win. And we start off this fight week, which, by the way, MK is going to be there. We are going to ramp it up. Yes, we got an all-star crew with everyone from, you know, Helwani to Carnival to to AJ McKee on the call, uh, Logan Paul joining the broadcast. we got a fun broadcast team on the TV end. But digitally, MK going to hold it down this week. And I want to look at the storylines here as we kick this week off. And I think the biggest storyline for me, maybe not for everybody, but for me heading into this fight is just this to me is what circus carnival fights should be and could be. And I know, again, Jake, it has his own narrative of trying to prove to us another chapter, another step up the ladder that he is for real. And I expect Woodley to make him have to prove that win or lose here. Um, I think the bigger storyline for me still is this bubble. This is the right type of matchmaking to keep the bubble afloat, to keep it filled with air. And it's it's maybe, you know, it's not Showtime's fault that Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather didn't have some type of closure or climactic ending or anything but a largely a paw fest where Logan, to his credit for surviving, I think was trying to survive and prove that he can do certain things as a real boxer and not get manhandled by an older, smaller fighter. And I think he proved all that. The problem is in proving all that, it didn't really have great success in there. So the entertainment factor wasn't a great success and because that fight was a big deal and we played it up as a big deal and Floyd coming back is a big deal and it was a circus quality of I just have to see what it looks like when it doesn't live up you know people can go well what's left of this revolution of the Paul brothers you know I think the storyline for me is you know this is the type of fun matchmaking that this genre needs and will thrive on two guys with name value but yet on paper really oddly compellingly perfect it, it competition wise you really don't know who's going to win jake paul's bigger he's been focusing specifically on boxing training and, and and putting it all going all in right as the all access showed you i mean he's he's going for it everyone even people that hate this i hate the paws are like that kid that kid's trying though he's going for it against a tyron woodley who's yes almost 40 yes four straight losses or so in the ufc but a guy who can punch, a guy who can still surge in, in, in explosive bursts. And, you know, the, the boxing footage up to this point that we've seen, the little of it, of Woodley, it looks kind of impressive. And we know he's also training with the right people. Did some time with Floyd Mayweather. Has famed Cuban amateur trainer Pedro Diaz, who had a lot of success professionally with the Miguel Cotos, the Guillermo Rigondeaux, who's a defensive, smart boxing coach. Um, can all that rub off in one camp? I don't know. But... The, the, the fact that we come in here not knowing who's going to win and that we can almost guarantee it's going to be a knockout because if they don't get it, they're probably going to gas themselves out trying for it. You kind of have that feeling, right, that, that Jake Paul has a lot to prove, but there's a dangerous guy in front of him that we're going to see action. Um, can it keep the bubble afloat? I think they kind of need to bring it here, and I think they will, and I think it will do wonders. Now, does Jake Paul need to win to keep this bubble going? It's, it's hard to say. What if they put on a great fight for what it is? We're not expecting, we're not expecting, uh, you know, uh, the Mayweather-Pacquiao level of, of technical uh, display. But if they put on a really good fight and Jake loses, even if he gets stopped, could you do a rematch? Of course, you could do. You can do things to keep it going. 
But I think the best thing that will keep it going certainly is just a great fight in which both guys try to win and are willing to risk it all to try to win. And that's, I think, what we should be asking of those who are taking a chance and then entering this celebrity boom, whether that's aging old boxers like De La Hoya against Vitor Belfort coming up or it's, you know, YouTubers or opportunists here celebrity wise. Um, bring it. I mean, if you're going to come and we're going to care about you and make it part of our combat sports coverage and invest money and take MK on the road, you better come on. And I think these two guys will come on because I think they will be close enough in their matching. And I think that's what's interesting. Uh, I certainly think the Woodley storyline is, is an underplayed one here of, you know, is he actually better than we think? And, okay, it's, it's just some video of him training. So what? He doesn't look remedial. As, like, when Logan first hit the bag, we're like, wait, is that, does that look like Connor throwing his shoulders, like Ronda, or, you know, swimming there, showing, throwing the, uh, or is that real? Um, hey, Logan, I thought, exceeded expectations in the ring, although it kind of killed the uh, excitement of it. But uh, will Woodley do the same? I'm very interested to see that. I, I know he's going to have the right hand. I know he's going to have a, a, an opportunity, you know, a chance to win this fight by knockout. But can he be more than that? Can he outbox Jake Paul? Because I think everyone won this first was matched. We, we said two things. We said, one, this would this be a banger. This one could be a knockout. And two, you know, I kind of like Jake Paul's actual ability to box in terms of what I can imagine Woodley to be a little bit better. He is a big kid. He's bigger than Woodley naturally. He's got a decent jab. You know, that's the one thing about the Pauls. When they do put the gloves on, they take it pretty damn serious. That's, I think, why the initial sort of thing when Eddie Hearn and people were getting involved in Logan Paul versus KSI and putting this on and was on zone and all this. It's like, we came away going, do we want that on a regular fight card mixed with real fights kind of taking away what would have been a big fight? No. But I'm not going to disrespect their names because they are bringing it. They are trying. This is better than some celebrity shit we've seen in the past. Um, I want to see if Woodley can give Jake a problem here. It's going to be very interesting to see. I'm also interested to see, you know, in the homecoming here for the Paul brothers in Cleveland. We'll be on the ground. We'll be doing a live public workout. MK hosting on Wednesday, Luke and I, um, from an outdoor area. We'll get to see the fighters up close, interview them, have them see them hit the pads and, you know, all that stuff. And, uh... I want to see what the public reaction here is. Uh, the Paul's coming home here. I want to see who's, you know, is it going to be all Paul fans in the arena that night? Will there be a wide... Sometimes when you take boxing to a non-traditional boxing hub, you can get lucky and get pleasantly surprised when, you know, Terrence Crawford became a thing and Top Rank was taking him to Omaha. And, you know, through the TV, you can hear that that's not a normal boxing crowd. Like, this crowd's going ape shit. Like, they're, they're into this, you know? And um, I want to see that passion. I want to see if we can get that. But... Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. There's certainly uh, no shortage of story. I want to see that robot. Apparently, there's a real man inside that robot. All right? It's probably re- he's a, probably a real sweaty man, but uh, I want to see more of that robot. I don't know. It's, more, it's just like you ever walk into uh, Stu Leonard's, you know, that grocery store? You can try a lot of the samples and, and stuff. They got like that um, farmer guy, and he's on like the gymnastics trapeze thing, and he's just flipping over and over again, and you're sitting there eating your free sample, and you're just like... You know, I could, I could, I could watch this for like a, at least an hour without being, you know, without being too bored. And you look over and there's a baby in a, in a, in like a carrier doing the same thing. And you're like, it's good, it's good shit. I mean, it's not bad, you know, it's not bad. Um, you know, I don't really know what I was trying to compare that story to in the long run. I think I lost myself in it and uh, I tripped and fell, but, uh, hopefully you came in with me and you were okay in there. So, uh, yeah, that's the story heading in there. Uh, interesting undercard too. Tommy Fury. Could he be a future Jake Paul opponent? He'll be in there against, uh, Taylor, Anthony Taylor, I believe is his name, who, uh, is in the Paul training camp has had some Bellator fights. That should be fun. Uh, we've got some real fights mixed in here. I want to see Amanda Serrano who just doesn't get the, the attention and, and, you know, and the, 
applause she deserves for being one of the pound for pound best women's fighters in the game today. Katie Taylor, Clarissa Shields, and Amanda Serrano in my eyes. So it'd be good to see her get that co-main event shine. Um, we got uh, Ivan Baranchik, who is fun as shit. We saw him uh, in the fight of the year last year against Jose Zapata for top rank. You know, he'll be going in there against unbeaten Dakota Love. So this should be should be some fun fun stuff Sunday night. Be there. Showtime pay-per-view. Uh, MK will take you there all week. Just just, just find us. We'll find you, and you'll find this fight. Maybe you'll find it interesting. I don't know. But I hope to uh, show up in Cleveland and show out. In fact, show the F out. Okay? All right? Luke, I, Luke will be there. Will Luke be fresh off vacation like your boy BC has been the last week? I hope so. But, you know, here's a warning to Luke and to all of you. Even if he's not, I'm bringing it. All right? You know what's going to happen this week in Cleveland. Two worlds collide. Rival nations. <laughs> Documentary crews abound, filming everything. But, you know, who's, who's BC going to be? He's certainly going to be ready, willing, and gable. Why? Because BC's the American alpha. Okay? You see that? You see that right here? Let's, let's get this. Let's, let's get this right. Let's, let's put this towel up right. BC's the American alpha. Okay? Canada, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. All right? Be there. Cleveland. Let's do this thing. Okay? Love it. Love everything about this show. That's the end of your five topics for the week. Uh, BC, BDE coming. And now you will into my inbox to find out the answers to your questions. No, this ain't a BC live chat like we debut in the second half of Friday's episode. Will there be a future for that? That's up to you. That's up to you, really. Okay. This is DMs, though, from Donks. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, uh, every Sunday night on the Morning Combat Instagram page, we solicit your questions. The responses from there are pooled by our trusty team, and I'll answer them for you. Of course, morningcombat at gmail.com is the email address for Wednesday's fan submissions, Fridays, uh, Dead Wrong, all that good stuff. So uh, reach out to us through there. If you want to send us pictures of yourself wearing our merch. I mean, look at this. Look at this right now. Okay, I didn't even mention morningcombat.store. Should I right now, Gaff? Should I tell the people? Is it BC versus Luke? Yeah, every damn time they turn on the cameras, it is, okay? Are we better together forever, Trevor? Yeah, never matter. Of course we are, okay? But I'm coming. I'm coming for that brass ring, all right? Raise your game, Luke Thomas, all right? It's not, it's not, you know, let's go. Let's do it. All right, uh, at Greg Leach 99 is our first one, a, a regular contributor to these DMs. He says, given the current trajectory of both careers, how likely is it that we ever get to see a Conor McGregor versus Manny Pacquiao boxing match? If this were to occur, who would you favor and for what reasons? I think this big fight, if you ask me, like, what's the next big fight for Manny? Again, it could be him coming back against, like, an Amir Khan, which would be a soft sort of bounce back fight because of Amir Khan's chin. But Khan's still got the name value and flashy hands and you can sell that and Manny will win by knockout. Or Manny can just make a decision at some point in the next year. Like, no, I'm not done. I'm going to come back and you can find anybody he wants. That's the power of Manny Pacquiao. But why are we likely to see this in my eyes sooner than later? Because yes, uh, even though I like the BDE, 
and the despicable nature, even though I didn't like some of the words, of course, he said, or the tweets afterwards. But I liked that McGregor came back rabid for this trilogy against Poirier. And it was like, win at all costs, no matter what. And he didn't win. And he's got an injury that's going to sit him out for a while. And But as the days go on, as the time ticks, maybe it's it's a reaction to Connor's ability, maybe. Or, or his perform not his ability, sorry, his behavior, maybe. Maybe his behavior on social media every day is making me sober up more and more to the, you know what, I think Connor's an older version of himself, but he's still he's still viable. He's still dangerous. You know, you really think about that injury and the recovery and how much he's going to have to prove and talk about him going to welterweight. I mean, unless he's very carefully matched, and he doesn't do that. He's a big-time opportunist, opportunist, and you really can't get, by the way, except for him when you're on his level, if you want to, like the Cowboy Cerrone one, you really can't get soft comebackish fights. And if you do, you can get like two in a row. That's why Dana was like, hell no, I'm not going to let you fight Diego Sanchez next. Come on, bro. Can't do that. I think Connor's more likely to lose these big matchups than win, of course. And I think that there will come a point. I don't know if it's one more loss. I don't know if it's two more. I don't know if it's a loss and a bounce back win and then a big loss. But sooner than later, I think Connor's going to be looking elsewhere. And I think he still has a viability in crossover boxing with the name and people wanting to see him get knocked out and the credibility, at least from his performance against Mayweather, where again, he wasn't handled or jobbed in the long run. He ran out of gas and he was walked down and he was stopped. Yes. But you know, this, that was far from embarrassing. Like, you know, he looked like he could almost kind of belong in this game. If he committed to it, I don't think he's going to commit to it. I don't think he should commit to it, but can he come back in a big Manny Pacquiao type, of course. And if it comes two years from now where Pacquiao is a little bit older, but still kind of not retired, right? He's not active, but he's sort of looking at his options. Um, it's very likely that these two are going to box. And I think it's very likely, unless Manny gets really old, that Manny Pacquiao is going to win by knockout when they do fight. And maybe the longer it takes to get there, the more chances Connor will have in our in our minds coming in, or maybe not, or maybe he will have suffered some more tough losses. And I mean, we're at the point now where Connor, at, although he got stopped by Poirier, yes, he did get stopped by Poirier in the second fight, but it wasn't like he got out cold. It was, you know what I mean? Like he was stopped, like, it, but it wasn't like a, a horrifically damaging one. The second he starts taking horrifically damaging, like second that he starts getting Chuck Liddell, if that's going to happen. Dude, he's gone, and he's gone into boxing because he's not going to risk killing that boxing crossover. It's like a lottery ticket. Like, the Nate Diaz fight has been a lottery ticket in his back pocket if he wants or needs it. We might be getting up to Nate Diaz trilogy territory now because I think he needs it. Um, but he's going to be in boxing soon, and he's going to get knocked out by Manny Pacquiao, but it'll be a big event, and it'll kind of revive their brands for the moment of what's left of it or what's worth in that. Um, but that that's the deal, Greg Leach. Thank you for for trying us here um at flannels and jits with kayla harrison performance at pfl on last thursday what fights would you like to see next well she just won she just won her semifinal bout so next she'll be in there in the finals of the women's lightweight division in october against taylor gardado and there's just not a path to victory for taylor at this point and i'm serious about this outside of you know some you know cut or some something freaky here um so what's next? I talked about that in the last show, Friday show, about what I think PFL would have to do to keep her. First and foremost, life-changing money, yes, like she asked for. Yes, you have to. But I do believe you have to set the path if you're PFL, begin the ground rumbling, set the stage for her to have a super fight that she deserves. I think it's easier potentially 
unless she just wakes up and says, you know what, I want to go to the UFC now. If she wants to do that, they'll pay her, she'll go there, and she could end up fighting Amanda Nunes at 145, and it will be a major deal. But I feel like you build to that. And I feel like it might be smarter for her in different ways to build fights. She could probably make more money in the short term, potentially. Now, I don't know PFL's books. I know they have a lot of celebrity investors, though. I know they got this ESPN deal. I know they could be looking for a different deal elsewhere in a year for, from little things you hear. Um, if they want to invest in her and put money behind her, then you got to try to set up some type of cross fight with a cyborg from, from Bellator. And again, could it be a home and home series? Could it be a pay-per-view with both promotions? I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do know that we've seen some things lately that, that suggest it's not impossible. And those things are everything from the freaking Ben Askren DJ trade, which involved the UFC, which was wild to just, you know, I mean, Bellator doing things with Risen and stuff. I don't, I don't think it's impossible, but I think you have to have that when you, you know, when you sign her, that's got to be there. It's got to, we got to be ready to go. We have a, have a plan to get there. Okay. And um, short of Cyborg, you know, I don't want to see her against Clarissa Shields. Neither does she. Neither should Clarissa. Clarissa's got a long road. She's on her own path. And she'll be back soon, which will be fun to see. I really liked her first performance. You know, there's certainly some bad, but a lot of like, wow, okay. But, you know, um, I think also PFL, as I mentioned on Friday, they got to get, they got to try to get some names here. Whether it's 55 if they keep that going next year or whether Kayla would decide to try a season at 145. And she really would have no reason to unless there was a lot of money involved, I think. But um, they have to get people. Megan Anderson, they have to get people. They have to get people you know about, you care about, that you can imagine in an interesting fight with Kayla. What they have now, I don't think it's going to run for next year unless they're just going to straight up pay her and be like, we're going to make it worth it for you. Be the face of our franchise. Come win our season. I'd like to see her against Larissa Pacheco a third time. I like the power of Pacheco. Okay. She's got to make weight, though. Tough training camp for her. Let's keep this going. At Moneyman underscore 53. All right. Why do you think Habib is talking bad about Jose Aldo? This was surprising because, like, let's be fair here. Habib's a really good dude. Like, I mean, he... There's a lot of good... We talk about the goodwill of Pacquiao and, you know, boxing fans and journalists. It's like... Hard to say bad things about him, okay? Okay, you can, like, dislike political decisions he's made. He doesn't have the best human rights record and all that. But, you know, he's charitable. He's a great, great dude. Good family guy. Habib has really shown us that, like, he stands by his word. He's a good dude. And he doesn't seem to go after people unless they go after him first. I don't know the origin of this. I didn't really actually read too deep into the story, although I know the headline in reference. Um, I, did, I did sort of, you know, sniff that and, and check it out quick. I have to believe that somewhere along the line, Jose said something negative about uh, Habib and he just banked it and it just came out because it did seem sort of like, like the question was about Jose, but it wasn't set up at all for this to happen, right? It was like, Habib was sort of like, oh, hold on, while I'm here, okay? <laughs> while I'm here, can, you, uh, can I just pull my pants down quick and just drop a deuce right now on top of him? It's interesting, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a legend, non-limit, legend crime. And I know people are sore that I don't put Jose at the upper table. I'm sorry. Jose's great. I love Jose. Gotta have standards, right? Not everybody can get in. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's the thing that the NBA doesn't do by not having their own Hall of Fame, by being connected with the Naismith Pro, or not Pro, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. It's like people in the NBA get in on the same level as like, you know, women's college and high school coaches. It's just, there's no like true hard line. Who's the only Hall of Fame putting in that hard line? Baseball, maybe? Pro football to a to a large to a decent degree. Boxing for the most part, for the most part, boxing hall of fame is pretty pretty solid. Now I like when a hall of fame. I like when a Don Mattingly can't get in, even though in pockets he was freaking great, great. 
But he had the back injuries. He wasn't able to sustain it. Will he get in one day on some old guy's vote? Yeah, probably. And then it will be awesome. And we'll say, yeah, man, you deserved it all along, bro. I like that there's standards. So I like that there's a line that there's people that you have to put below it. Josie Alto's not on that upper table. I'm sorry. That's my editorial. So it's me and Habib dropping deuces on him. But, you know, you know I love to watch him. There's, you better believe that, okay? I love me some Brazil. Thank you. Um, from at Jose underscore TRD bro. Turd bro? Really? Turd bro? Uh, we saw BC bring that BDE art, if you will. I will. <laughs> I'll keep doing it. Uh, in doing a live chat on Friday, of which we expect from LT every Thursday. Yes, we do. It's a great program, by the way, as well. Can't, I actually, to be honest, I actually watch Luke's live chat. I don't watch or, okay, I'll be honest. I don't watch or read a ton, even of my friends in the business. Like, I'll come across it sometimes. If it, if it hooks me, I'll, it, the headline, I'll read it or whatever. But I don't like, I'm not somebody that consumes constantly everybody else's content. I don't think we can do the best morning combat here if I'm constantly watching Ariel or Submission Radio or weighing in or, you know, John, or Michael Bisping or, or John Anik and Kenny or whatever. Like, I don't think, I think that it can, you know, you can become reactionary or you can sort of, you get the influences in your head sometimes without realizing it. I just like to, to, to do us. But I do, within this us, I didn't watch a lot of Dissected. You know, it, was, it was probably a good program. Did good ratings, right? Not enough BC in it for my liking, but um, I do that live chat. Let's give Luke credit on Thursdays. It's really freaking good. He's good at that shit, all right? Um, can we have LT do a segment that's typically associated with BC? Say, like a Wheel of Death, where Luke asks legitimate questions of politic and philosophy concerns. Wow, wow. And BC has to answer in good faith, as opposed to giving a fuck-all answer. Like, Luke, I'm from a tack factory town. We don't discuss these sort of things. I love you guys. Jo Jose? Jose? Jose Turdbro? I love you too, brother. Thank you. Um, can we do that? Yeah, maybe for fun. I'm into shit like that. Okay, dude. There's really. Okay, I have I have standards too, right? Like I always say, like my dad used to, you know, joke around driving the car. I'd be like, how much money would it take for you to eat poop? Would it be like two hundred million dollars for you to eat a plate of poop? I I just don't crack for stuff like that. I'm like, I'm not. That I'm not going to compromise. I do have some limits. People, people. There's fans out there that don't fans out there that thinks I'm a walking piece of crap. Snarky Ginger is one of our toughest fans against me all the time. Just, uh, just you know, just a walking critic of all things BC. She does come back. I bet she's watching this solo show right now. she watching because she misses Luke? Or is she watching because BC's holding the shit down? That's that's my question to you, Snarky Ginger. But, um, you know, people are, can be very uh, critical uh, of BC. But I do have my own lines of standards that I won't cross. But short of that line, I'll do just about anything for the show, okay? So um, you want to put a pie in my face? You want to create your own Wheel of Death UFC weigh-in show? Oh, you did already. Um, yeah, I'd be willing to go under the, the you know, I'll put myself in the hot seat if you want. I'll answer political, social, you know, religious. Uh, I'll do what you want, okay? All right? I have lines, though. I'm not going to cross them for you. You got to stand for something at the end of the day. That's the thing. Would I want everybody to stand for what I stand for? Of course I would. Right, because I've just I've learned enough in my ups and downs and my travails that this is the way I've, I've I think is the way to go. The things I commit to in my life and the things I do. I want everybody to have the same interests of me. We can. We, it's like that scene in Half Baked where where he's like, "Smoke you you smoke." We could have been hanging out from the beginning, right? And he and he thinks his girlfriend wants to get high with him. Um, you know, we could have been we could have been broing out from the beginning. I want everybody to like the things I do, but you know, I also respect your ability to be exactly who you want to be. So. uh so do you, all right? Thanks. 
kind of forgot the point there. So that, that you get, you put me in front of a microphone long enough, I'll 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 take you off the exit ramp. We'll have no idea where we are. All right. That's why Luke. Maybe that's what maybe that's his role in this show. Okay. Thank you. Um, from at triple A, ten seventeen, says if Tiffany Amber Thiessen had starred in a particular '90s NC17 cult classic, they are talking about Showgirls, 1995, instead of her SBTV co-star Elizabeth Berkley. Would it be looked at more fondly or would it have ruined her career as well? Can the answer be yes? Because I think this is the answer. Yes. Would it have been looked at more fondly? Yeah. You, Kelly, especially Kelly Kapowski post, post it's, it's crass to say it in 2021, but post-surgery, 90210 version of Kelly Kapowski, if she was the star of Showgirls rather than Elizabeth Murphy, who, who is going to sound bad. It's a shitty role. She did fulfill it, though. Okay, shout out to the, she did go for it, right? She went for it. If 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 Tiffany Amber had gone for it, would we remember it a little bit more lovingly? Well, I think yeah, more people were fans of hers than fans of Jesse from Saved by the Bell. It's no it's no crime in saying that. It's also a shitty movie, like a really shamelessly shitty movie that rightfully won all of those Razzie awards, despite the or those yeah those are the words for the movies that suck, despite. It delivering upon the reason why we all went to the theater to see that in 1995. Uh, would it have ruined her career? Yeah, you're damn right. It would have ruined her career, and rightfully so. I mean, look, can we give Elizabeth Berkeley credit that she... I mean, she hasn't brought the legitimacy back full circle. She hasn't had an incredible actress, acting career after that. No, she's had some moments, and, you know, she had ended up doing the, the Saved by the Bell rebirth route to, you know, maybe stay creatively satisfied and get money and stay relevant, and... You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not against anybody doing something nostalgic to cash in and try it one more time. And you're seeing that a lot in the streaming era now that it's happening. It's fun. It's, 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 I mean, it can be done really well like Cobra Kai or it can be done really bad. But, um, would Tiffany Amber Thiessen have had the same stink on her? Yeah. Yeah, she would have. And to be honest, she hasn't had an incredible career. She had some good stops along the way, some decent ones, you know, both, you know, in, in sitcom type stuff or in uh, hosting, but, um, you can't really lose that stain. You know, it's like the back before it was now different, but back like in the eighties or early nineties, if you're like an NFL prospect or somebody and you got caught with weed before the draft, like for like a Warren Sapp, it's like a stigma that hung over you back then. We were, you know, a little bit different in how we received that. And, um, be a hell of a stigma. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, you asked it. All right. I had an answer there. All right. All right. Those are your, your DMS from donks. Maybe BC will do a Tuesday live chat. One of these days. Maybe if you guys want me to be there, I'll be there. You know what I'm saying? They had to pull me off of it on Friday. Okay. I mean, I was, I'm, I'm in a zone, right? As, uh, as, uh, what he said in wet man can't jump. I'm in a fucking zone. Okay. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to take me from that. That's why I'm willing to get into fist fights during adult rec league basketball, but I won't fight anywhere else. Okay. That's my battlefield. All right, this ain't Bethel. This is war, mental warfare out here on the court. All right, I need to be a savage between these lines on the basketball court, so I'm not a savage outside that door. Maybe the same as when the camera turns on. Okay, maybe this prevents me from having to be a savage in real life. What I'm doing right now in front of this camera is savage. Okay, let's keep the savagery going. We have a segment every Monday where I grab really ridiculous videos from uh, around the world, the highs and lows, the good and ugly, all that, and the in between of combat sports and beyond. This is a BC solo edition of Have You Seen This Shit? 
All right. You're probably wondering, BC, how's this going to work, really? With, like, you by yourself just throwing to the videos? Yeah, it's going to be me throwing to the videos. So let's start it. PBC on Fox pay-per-view from Las Vegas on the undercard. Unbeaten featherweight prospect Mark Magseo. He's a disciple of Pacquiao. He trains with Freddie Roach. He was down on all three scorecards against Julio Ceja. But look at the out-cold two-punch finish in round 10. This showed a lot from Magseo, who had moments. Both fighters were knocked down and got up off the canvas. In the fifth round, Magseo got hit with a body shot. He took a knee. But for him to get up and find out later he's down on the cards against an aggressive veteran in Seha and deliver that boom. I don't want to say he saved his career, but you know he saved that, 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 that buzz you get from being an unbeaten fighter who doesn't know how to lose. This was a big moment that will elevate him to a higher level. Keep your eye on Mark Magseo. It wasn't a flawless performance by any means, but that was a tough out in Julio Seja. And look at that. He knocked him out with the first one. The second one was just gravy. Kenny Bayless didn't get there in time. Wow. All right, let's keep it going. UFC fight night also from La- What a weekend in Las Vegas. SummerSlam, UFC, boxing. How about lightweight Ignacio Bahamondes? Let the rhythm take you over. Spitty shit done right on Roosevelt Roberts. Good freaking Lord. Play it again a million times. Guys, I don't see how this didn't take over the internet on Saturday. This is as good as any of the shit we've ever seen in highlight real spinny shit in UFC history. Terry Adam Barbosa, make room, okay? Castanagane, uh, uh, just butcher that name, um... You know, the dude that did the jumping spin shit, you know, just recently. Move on over, jumping spin shit. Holy crap, this is violent. I mean, it's, 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 per- it's perfect. It's a, it's a layout, diving, catch in the gap in the outfield. Just all in, and he got it all. And this was a fun fight, and wow. 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 I mean, can we, can we go back around one more time? We get UFC knocking on. Look at the still of this. Look at the still. That's one of the best still shots I've ever seen. Look at that face. I hate to say it because you know I love Rashad Evans, but you know about the Rashad face in the Machida fight. I'm sure he does too. People love to meme that shit. I'm sorry. They, people, they put themselves out there for us and take these chances. And Roosevelt Roberts said that. Look at that face. I, I mean, remember the Curtis Stevens face against Gennady Golovkin? The, I mean, this is, this is in that category of faces. Wow. Faces of death. Wow. Okay, keep it going. Uh, Light heavyweight William Knight. Shout out East Hartford, Connecticut. Check out this KO of Fabio Charant. He barely seemed to touch him. A fallaway left-handed hook that seemed to just sort of graze the temple. Look at this celebration. This guy's freaking jacked. I mean, seriously. The nightmare. Shout out the Kings of Connecticut. We may have to move over. It's like apathy. It's like BC. It's William Knight right now, as far as I'm concerned. Shout out right there. Let's continue on this uh, backflip celebration. You gotta be a freak athlete to do that, especially, you know, after a fight. That's um, some good shit right there. You like when people, like, I don't know if he's for real. It's early for him and his UFC run, at least. But um, you like when people make a giant statement like that. I like that. It's a large statement. What I'm doing in front of this camera right now without Luke, it's a large freaking statement. Are you ready to receive it? Uh, Brian Boom Kelleher, let's keep it going. Friend of the old school uh, MMA beat. Look at him celebrate his unanimous decision win over Domingo Pilarte. All things, give me a hell yeah there, Stone Cold. Stone Cold. Yes, thank you. Good shit from Brian Boom here. This guy, this guy's friendly. He's friendly to the to to the MMA fan and journalist, I believe. Good, good, good dude right there. Love to see him succeed. Um, also on this undercard, hands down, one man down, Bea Malecki. Um, First class ticket to Hades. This is Bantamweight 
Josiana Nunes. Nunes, you're from Brazil and your name Nunes, you could typically bang. This is good. So she was in this fight from the beginning threatening a knockout, just throwing bombs despite the large height advantage. Maleki unfortunately got fatigued. You saw coming out of the, you know, stepping backwards and guard not up, a little bit off balance, exhausted. She didn't expect that shot. We didn't expect that shot. That is a know my name now performance right there. In um, Bantamweight, we need some players. We need some contenders. I thought, you know, Malecki would have been fun if, if she could put things together. She still has time to, but uh, good Lord. Nunes. Nunes? Nunes? Lioness part two? This is this is good. It's good stuff. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on her, but uh, loved it. Let's go over to the bare knuckle bonanza. BKFC Friday night. Dylan Kleckler against Justin Thornton and... Um, yeah, we've got a spot for you right there. There's your coffin. There you go. Head first. Wow. Wow. Yikes. I still believe, even though this is entertaining as shit, this is the bottom of the food chain. Um, Wow. But it, it's fun down there. It's fun down by the drain area, right? Wow. That is uh, yikes. Let's card him off, please. We've got more hillbillies to get in there. I love the hillbilly nature. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm going to say it. They've got characters at BKFC. They got Jenny Savage. They've got, you know, Joey Beltran and Mrs. Beltran. They, you know, they got some fun players there. I'm sorry. They do. They do. Brent Brookhouse is like, bro, you got to get in on this revolution. Is it a revolution? No. But it's like real pro wrestling, this, this shit. It's, it's wacky. Uh, more on pro wrestling to come later in the show. So you may want to tune out now. PFL from Thursday night. We've talked a lot about Kayla Harrison's victory. Look at her scare away teammate, Jorge Masvidal. Yes, yes. Love that stuff right there. I love when ATT... ATT's a fun place, man. They've been very um, welcoming to CBS Sports in the past. Go down there, spend a day there, get some good interviews. I'm, I'm a fan of all of them. But uh, you love the respect that all of Kayla's teammates rightfully show her. She's, she's legit. She's the real deal. Masvidal knows. All right, let's keep it rolling right here. Let's go over to the soccer pitch, all right? Let's do a little... Um, how's your father? Is this what this is? Is this a turkey? Is this an oil chain? Dude, that's disgusting. That, that's assault, brother. What is this? Is this... What's the guy? Hanley? Holly, Hanley, handy, handy. Yeah, he gets handy in there. Wow, wow. All right, don't don't. Snow, hopefully, he didn't sniff his fingers afterwards. That is gross. Let's keep it going. The promotion is R three fighting, and look at this corner work. This is a little too up close and personal. You got, you got to, yeah. That's um, sir. Just you can just so you know you. That's um. That's not COVID-friendly right there. That is disgusting. Thank you, Grabaka Hitman, though, for putting all of that into the world on a regular basis. We appreciate your, your Twitter account. All right, let's go over to our regional MMA where we know anything can happen. Look at Rakeem Cleveland with the head kick from hell. Oh, yes! Wow, and look at the BDE. This guy going right into it. No cares. He'll be dancing by the pole in the evenings. That's a great KO right there. I'm not even sure what promotion. I should probably get on that. But uh, Rakeem Cleveland is the name. Wow. As Luke Thomas would say, hold that. Hold that shit. Yes. All right, busy weekend for Olympic gold medalist Gable Stevenson. Let's hear what he had to say to, to Josh Thompson here on Bellator.
what a time to be Gable Stevenson following that echo. Do I hear an echo? Marco Polo. Um, following that last second gold medal win. And now he's going to have MMA promoters and wrestling promoters alike opening up the vault for him. Friday night, he was in Sioux Falls, as you just saw, getting interviewed by Josh Thompson. Saturday night, he's in Las Vegas for SummerSlam, meeting with the boss, Vince McMahon, the chairman. He had another picture with the WWE belt on his shoulder. I think you have to ask yourself, did he also meet with uh, UFC Brass and Dana White and company was in Vegas that night? It was a busy combat weekend for Las Vegas. All I know is that Gable um, social media game seems to be on point. He's uh, adding these fellas, saying, hey, how are you? He's going to get a lot of money, maybe to do both. Who knows? But Scott Coker was interviewed after Bellator 265 on Friday and said, we'd love to make him an offer. We'd love to work with him, I'm sure. So would everyone. This is going to be an incredible bidding war. But look, he deserves it. He's been absolutely dominant. And to have a victory like the way he had. I mean, there's people that that, that get miraculous one-time moments. Think of like a David Tyree with the head catch in the Super Bowl. But it's sort of like, wow. I mean, what a perfect storm for that moment to happen. They'll be remembered for that forever. But that's, you know, but they're not that, right? Gable Stevenson was already that. And then he had one of those moments. Like, that's, that's Hollywood scripting right there. So, good shit, indeed. Let's, um, let's keep it rolling. Uh, Eddie Hearn was a part of a, a weigh-in a little bit more than a week ago in the UK in his backyard. And, you know, you do have to watch. The, the cameras are on you. You can't, be, you can't be checking out the goods. In fact, you know, yeah, you're a married man. Keep, the, keep your eyes away from that shit. That's good diversion tactics right there from Eddie Hearn. I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see some of the UFC ring girls show that same type of uh, respect. Thank you. All right. Sometimes you see people checking, checking shit out. Don't check the merchandise out. The cameras are on. All right. We got kids watching this. Thank you. What do you think? Just pedal smut here on Morning Combat. Um, let's go over to what I mentioned. SummerSlam and the big reveal after the main event was Brock Lesnar's back. He tore up John Cena. He stared down Roman Reigns. And he kind of dressed like an onion, which makes this tweet hilarious. I asked our producer Gaff before, is this? I can't figure it out. Because you know I love me some bearded Brock. When Brock had that beard against Cain Velasquez, it's like he wasted a great freaking hair night on a really, unfortunately, bad performance in which he was stopped and cut open and all that. Just like Felix Trinidad, look it up. The hair he had against Winky Wright, he wasted a great hair night in a 12-round shutout loss. I couldn't figure out if this was cool and I'm just, like, too washed or if this was a little bit of a cry for help trying too hard. Gaff, our producer, um... I think he nailed it. This is this is Brock trying too hard. But, um, you know, Brock can look any way he wants to. This guy makes a lot of freaking money. He's freaking jacked. And, you know, he hangs out on the farm all day. He can do whatever he wants. So uh, he's back. He's back for the big time money. More on the wrestling shit to close the show if you're into that. All right. Thank you, Brock. Let's keep the ridiculousness flowing. Let's have our big catches of the week. I'm not a big fisherman or fishing fan. But look at WBO welterweight champion Terrence Crawford with the catfish, brother. Good. God, that thing's huge. I don't... Yeah, let's zoom in on that stuff. All right, bud. Bud, we need to see you fight. It's been like a year. All right? Can you fight Porter, please? Uh, I don't know if it's the biggest catch of the week, though. Roy Jones was in a charity fishing derby in his native Pensacola. Look at the size of that red snapper, baby. Wow. Wow. Fish scales, Oscar. Meet me on the low on the D. That's big, some big shit. But, you know, there's a, you can get the biggest fish of the week. 
or you can be the most stylish fisherman. This picture's from May that I dug up, but check out lightweight Gregor Gillespie. Didn't mention that Marco Madsen called him out, by the way, after his win on Saturday, saying, let's see who the best wrestler in this division is. Marco Madsen went fishing in uh, New York State in May, and um, he did it in a three-piece suit? Two-piece suit? It's a good-ass suit. I, I'm not going to sit here and believe that he fished in that, though. This is a photo shoot. This is a, this is, but it looks good. It looks really good. I like Gregor Gillespie a lot, by the way. Looks really good. All right. Um, Luke always claims I like elder abuse, like, way too much. Like, I, I did look in the mirror a few times and ask myself, like, am I taking this part of the segment too far? Are we celebrating old people getting hurt and laughing? Like, so I want to, you know, sometimes you have to test yourself. If you want to get rid of a vice, sometimes you have to put it in front of you and see if you'll, if you'll crack. You know what I mean? You'll get the, you know, you'll get the urge. The addiction's still there. But will you break? Gaff, could we, could we go to the next slide here? This lovely lady on her bike. I'm not going to crack. I'm not going to. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It's funny. This is really bad, but it's funny. It's like the freaking um, Happy Gilmore shit. Gaff, we got to have that in the archives. Do we? Please. Yes. Yes. Look at this. Grandma, I'm going to get you out of this nursing home. Okay. It's a nice place. Look, everyone wants to be here. Look at that. Look at that shit, Grandma. Ben Stiller's not in there. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Help. 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 Yes, indeed. Indeed. Thank you. 90s. 90s all day. All right. Um, here's one more thing. We, you know, we, we may have we may do elder abuse here. We also celebrate old guys. Check out this. This Dana White not doing this in YMA. OK. OK. This is the full send from grandpa. Oh, yeah. No injuries here. No injuries. Love it. Of and if he, you know, and if if he died there, he would have he would have gone out doing what he loved. I'm I'm all for that, right? Like like Anna Nicole Smith's husband, right? I mean, <laughs> she's a dirty old man. He went out doing what he loved, right? Okay, insensitive. Let's keep that going. Speaking of sending it in, the shot of the summer took place on this grill. Look at this throw from the second floor. The cheese frisbee, forehand backhand style, right on the burger. That is some good shit right there. Unfortunately, though. Talk about the addictions, you know, BC's been protecting this liver. Maybe, maybe a little bit too much snacking after eight o'clock lately, maybe too much carbs and snacking, but BC's avoided the beef, the pork, the fast food, the grease, the breaded chicken. I, I'm really, you know, a lot of fish in my life. I'm really trying. Okay. And it's really hard to, um, to watch this, but that's a hell of a throw. All right. But even though I no longer can eat my favorites, I was considering fondly remembering them for life by, um, getting my first tattoos. There's a picture. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I think that guy's from the same town I am. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You need Wendy's on there, though. You do need Wendy's on there. Wendy's is the $5 biggie bag. I can't order it anymore, but the $5 biggie bag is the best value in fast food. It really is. You know, it, the big, it's fantastic. All right. That's the shit for the week. Hope you enjoyed it. We're going 90 minutes strong here, okay? We don't need no stinking Luke, but we do prefer him. Shout out to Next Level Hydrogen Water for sending me all those free samples. It's, it, it, they claim a cure ha cures hangover. I'm going to have to try that in Cleveland, I guess. If I can get these, fly you know, can I fly with these? Can I? All right, let's go. Odds and ends, and look, my odds and ends is this. You know your boy BC was a pro wrestling fan for a lot of my life. 2016, I got into the journalism game. I pushed hard to get a pro wrestling page on ESPN.com. I was part of that movement. I took my talents to CBS Sports the next year. I was on the ESPN Cheap Heat pod. I had my own wrestling pod, the In This Corner, which became the State of Combat. But you know what? 
pro wrestling wore me out. I've been watching week to week in over a year. I blame Vince McMahon. I really do. I'm sorry. I blame. I, I feel like the with WWE playing the role of, of lead like the UFC does in MMA, just an underutilization of assets, a lack of adaption to today's booking and match style and storytelling, just a lot of corporate bullshit. And it drove me away like it's drove away a lot of others. And I stayed watching AEW here and there, and I love and respect what they do. And if you haven't been following me from the beginning, um, I spoke a lot in 2015 and 16 and 17 when NJPW in Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada, and they started changing the game with the quality of matches you can have in pro wrestling and the deep-rooted storytelling. And you play that with the indies getting the close-up they did during those years and nxt really underneath the wwe hood paul levesque and triple h and company turning nxt into sort of an indie all-star classic and you know wrestling was back and wwe proper had a couple good years in there 2016 especially it was fun doing podcasting in those days 2017 even but you know when i felt that after that japan launch after the indies took off you could create a second league. You could create a second power. Now, they did with AEW. Was it the exact vision of what I thought it could be? Not at first. It didn't, you know... In the end, it's a mixture of everything that's good in wrestling today, AEW. It's the throwback to the to the 80s territory area of, the, of NWA and WCW. It's the, you know, a platform for the indies. And, and it's, but it's also the traditional big man style mixed in as you have some WWE people, you know, who have started it, you know, Cody Rhodes and company. And I thought AEW has been really good since the launch, but I felt like it didn't go the next level yet to create what I thought was going to be a revolution. And I think what happened Friday night at AEW Rampage that was widely predicted and speculated going to Chicago for an episode. Same thing as SummerSlam weekend in a big, big corporate close-up for WWE going to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, you know, Cena versus Reigns. I mean, this is a big weekend for WWE. There's no question about it. And that same weekend, AEW made a major freaking move by bringing back CM Punk. And it felt like the full maturation of what I had been whispering ever since I saw Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada part one in NJPW, the greatest wrestling match I've ever seen. I know the, the fourth one was the big one, you know, incredible storytelling. That's maybe the second or third best I've ever seen besides, you know, Steamboat Savage or that NXT takeover SummerSlam main event between Cole and Gargano. You know that one. But this was all of a lot of what I thought it could be f- to the next level. What Punk created Friday in Chicago was a moment. And the feels it produced in, in wrestling fans. And if you, know, if you hate the shit, then that's fine. I don't need you. I don't, I, don't, I don't expect you to understand, right? Luke can't hear Jimmy. He's listening to Cannibal Corpse, right? He's never going to get this shit. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. But if you got it or have gotten it or, or just understand what this business is, at the end of the day, the business is about <laughs> rewarding the fans for the time put in and the money and that stuff. But today... To be a wrestling fan, and that was the problem. You know, I quit covering wrestling for CBS Sports about a year ago. That final year, to, to be doing morning combat and to be a writer in boxing and MMA at a high level and be a national sort of voice, whatever that is, and then to also cover pro wrestling and watch everything that was going on and all that. I mean, it's, it's a time suck. Like, you have to be hardcore. But like my love of boxing, there's something deep inside of me that won't go away with wrestling. And if you activate that, if you hit that button, I'm going to be back. 
And this business has stopped trying to be with WWE in the forefront lately, a reward of your time. It's almost never a reward of your time or your hope. Will this person come out? Oh my God, imagine if they came out. It's always like they got it close to right, but they didn't really get it. There's a stubborn way in which WWE is operated. And I think that WWE has missed a chance, especially going national on Fox with SmackDown, you know, a little over a year ago to really help create the third boom period in our fandom. There was the first one, Hulk Hogan's launch in WrestleMania, 84, 85, you know, WWF. There was the second one when the NWO created Bash of the Beach, 96 WCW, when Hogan turned bad and Hall and Nash were there. And then it led to the Monday Night Wars, and that was the greatest financial period in pro wrestling history. I felt we could have had a legitimate third boom period with everything going on in Japan, the launch of AEW, and if WWE had just put their best foot forward. They can't get out of their own way. They still can't. But CM Punk returned, and it felt like a shift of the power. And I'm not even a Punk super fan. That's the thing. I respect the Punk era. I get that people became a fan because of him. That was an era where, I, to be honest, wasn't watching at all. The times when I watched, a lot of that was because CM Punk pulled me back in. But I'm not a Punk fan, but I'm such a fan of what his signing means and what that moment meant. AEW didn't tease that he was coming and they never came. They opened the show with it. And he got like 20 minutes. And I thought he cut a great promo. And the pop from the crowd, they gave them what they wanted. He's back. And it was the kind of feels that I have not felt as a fan, except for certain moments since Hogan turned bad and business picked up in a hurry in 96 and WCW went from second rate during that stretch. I mean, 93 WCW was incredible in 90, 91, 92. You could argue it was better than, you know, it was a down period for WWF it was some of the darkest periods for WWF financially post steroids, try all that WCW was great. Then they stopped being great. They sucked. The business sucked 93, 94, you had Hogan there in the ketchup and mustard, and it sucked. Going to Universal Studios, it sucked. Then he turned bad. And all the people like me who grew up in the 80s on the vitamins and the prayers and all that, like, we were teenagers now. We were ready for Bad Hogan and NWO, and it was everything. And it created a war because it forced WWE to be better than they ever have been. At that point, though, to save themselves financially, and it created the greatest boom period ever. Punk's arrival and the way it was handled, and that pop... I feel like the third boom period is still possible. I feel like we might be entering it. The competition now is real. AEW has achieved so much on ratings going head-to-head with NXT that Vince McMahon has lost faith in NXT and has stripped it of what it actually is and is letting people contracts go left and right and burying NXT people like he's always done secretly, and we know that's true, and announcing that they're basically going to go back to a big man feeder territory, you know, just a junior league circuit. So they're just taking... The, the indie influence, which WWE has maximized to a large degree in the past six, seven, eight years, it brought in guys like AJ Styles, even Seth Rollins, and all these, you know, Daniel Bryan, all these indie stars. And although on the main roster, they never quite got it right, except for little moments, you could still go to NXT to get what you wanted in WWE. And for a lot of those years, NXT was as good, or in 2018, it was the best promotion in the game, no question. But even WWE's getting out of that business and doubling down and tripling down on where the big consumer giant will sell more merch and will create more people that can go do charity events and all that. And, you know, that, that's the image for WWE. Punk might have been the shift of power that AEW needed. The proof will be in the putting, as they say. Ratings. Can AEW create storylines and must-see moments? But WWE is almost, and people have argued since they brought in Nick Khan, the 
super talented and, and creative and amazing sports agent who I give a lot of respect to. He's never been my agent. I've tried at certain points, but uh, you know, he's given me the time. Um, he's, he's doing a thankless job there and people think they're preparing to sell and they might be for all we know. I don't believe it. I don't believe we're ever going to see Vince McMahon get out of power until he dies, by the way, but they're cutting a lot of people. They're cutting a lot of hefty contracts. And if AEW starts picking these up, even though they're not necessarily reliant, like they don't necessarily need these WWE castoffs because they've given uh, a platform for guys that are ready that never spend a second in WWE. You know, guys like MJF and and um, Adam Page and you know Kenny Omega and you know guys that have, okay maybe they had one second or one tryout but they never you know they never crossed over there. But you're gonna need like with WCWs launching that second boom period you're gonna need recognizable names doing big fresh edgy things for to unlock the the law the angry the the lapsed fans shout out to the lapsed fan which is maybe the best wrestling podcast ever seriously shout out to jp and uh and jack um you're gonna need that so imagine if these rumors are true of what it could be i mean like like they got cm punk they got chris jericho who's doing incredible incredible things at his age they got dean ambrose you know uh who's re- repackaged, but you know what I'm saying. They got Cody Rhodes. Yep. All that. Could they get Daniel Bryan? That's the rumors next later in September. Could they get Bray Wyatt? Who got let go? Could they get Braun Strowman? Could they get, I mean, the opening is there for them to assemble a roster. Now there's a threat in that WCW couldn't keep their finances together. They're throwing money at everybody. Suddenly the NWO had 39 people in it and it, you know, they fell apart. They went out with it. I mean, it was fun while it lasted, though. That was, it. I mean, that era was, you don't have to hide, you know? You don't have to hide your fandom or, or your understanding of why it's so good. Because when it's that good, it doesn't matter, you know? We could be there again. And the fact that WWE is almost like doesn't realize like what they could have and are so willing to just stay with the WWE style, which, by the way, when it's done right, it's awesome. And I hear there were great moments in SummerSlam. And, you know, it's a big deal to have Reigns and Cena against each other in the, the main event and have Brock come back and come out. And I know Becky Lynch came out and that was, you know, widely panned for all the right reasons, just destroying Bianca Belair for, for really no reason, uh, Bianca Belair for no reason. But um, what this is going to do with Punk back and business up and these fresh feuds, it's, it's going to make WWE have to work have to be good again. Have to be the best version of themselves that they can. And even with all those cuts, man, they've got too much, they've got just a disgusting amount of talent that if they can get out of their own way, which means get Vince out of the way, which they can't, but if they could get out of their own way and start listening to others more and not being a completely broken backroom culture in which everybody's just trying to please one man. And if they can put their best foot forward that they tease every once in a while that they still know how to do, this could be a boom period where it's, you know, forget Luke and the MMA people on this show being like, oh man, wrestling. No, it, it'd be, it'll just be, it'll be what it is. You, you got to watch it. You got to talk about it. We could be there. Punk gave me Daytona beach, bash at the peach, 1996 Hulk Hogan feels. And you needed Hogan. Now they already had Hogan WCW for a couple of years, but it was ketchup and mustard washed up. Like we're not, we don't want that anymore. When they got the real Hogan, when they got, when they got Hollywood Hogan, that was the game changer. Punk could be this game changer. And even if it's not, it's going to be fun watching. And they got Kenny Omega. And they got a lot of good things going on there. We could be onto something here. This could, like, I woke back up. 
I'm not ready to watch. I'm not, dude, F WWE. I'm not even ready to watch them. I'm not going to watch them. I need, all I need in wrestling, I need AEW. Especially with NXT stop being NXT now. I need AEW. And I need New Japan for the big ones. That's all I need. And imagine if they work together, which they kind of are. I know Impact Wrestling is kind of a bridge in this area too. And they're sharing talent. Could you imagine if everybody was quote-unquote open for business? I know that's a controversial line right now because of that Nick Khan interview he gave to Ariel. But if everybody was sort of open for business and worked together and went against the big power? Say what you will about this art form. When it's done right. It can make a grown man cry. I mean, it's still real to us, damn it. It can make a grown man cry when you tell, when you tell these stories the right way. I mean... When I, I didn't see it, so I, I can't comment, certainly, on Brock Lesnar. I saw the highlights. I don't know. I mean, Brock Lesnar coming. What, was Cena Reigns a great match? People say it was really good. It lived up to expectations. And then suddenly Brock's there, and it's a new Brock, and it's good guy Brock, you know, and Reigns is what he's done. He's been the bright spot. The heel work Roman Reigns done now that they finally let him go and open. I mean, I've tuned in for that. It's been fantastic. Head of the table, yes. But you're also, even though it's not a, a point-for-point move, WWE didn't counter-program what happened to Punk on Friday in AEW. This is probably the plan. That's what Jack Cross, my CBS brother. It's like, this is the plan they had all along. But still, you're bringing out Brock Lesnar and John Cena and Goldberg, who had another awful moment there. When is WWE going to trust in its potential and its future? When is WWE going to roll out Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins in a multi-year story with multiple WrestleMania main events? You know, they have the history storytelling-wise. Like, when are they going to start like when your fans can fantasy book better the territory than you'll ever do it. Like that's a problem. When are they going to do things again that, that make old men feel like kids again in terms of the swerves and storytelling, they may have to soon if AEW does this. And so I've taken up enough of your time in this MMA and boxing show talking about this pro wrestling thing that a lot of you will love and get, but a lot of you can't hear Jimmy and that's fine. But Jimmy might be played on all of your stations moving forward if this shit keeps going. They got network, they got big time TV deals, they got the right people in place, Tony Khan and AEW. It's gonna be a war. Get your popcorn ready. We back. I'm back. Punk's back? I think I'm back. I'm not even a punk guy. But I, you know, like Terry, Terry Bollea, he can sense when the when the train's moving and the money's on it and he needs to get on board. So even though he was nervous, he got on board with Hall and Nash. Right? The NWO, they made it. I'm about to get on board again. So, um, Who's coming with me? All right? We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, that's Solo BC. We gave you an hour 45. Maybe some of it you enjoyed. Maybe some of it you thought was pretentious and cocky. That's fine. But um, shout out to uh, Gaff, to Corey, Sally, Al Wenling, Mikey Morms, all, all the good folks there. Matt Snyder overseeing us uh, as if he's Tom Hanks. Not Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, but Tom Hanks from That Thing You Do. That's really Matt Snyder's job. I try to, you know. Um, Luke Thomas will be back. I believe he's back on um, uh, Washington, D.C. soil at some point today. Him and I will be leaving Wednesday morning. Cleveland, Cleveland rocks. Let's do it, baby. Rock and roll Hall of Fame. Let's rock. We're going to bring it. It's going to be a big week. Get ready, Showtime. MK's coming. Like us. Subscribe to what we're doing right here. Follow us on these social channels. Morningcombat at gmail.com is your communication line. Uh, 30 days of Showtime can be had right now at Showtime.com. Take, take the plunge, okay? We got box, we got MMA, we got good stuff. Um, where our merch? It's Luke versus BC every week in the show, okay? We don't need to be in Orchids of Combat, all right? Although I hope we're back soon. Merch 2.0, morningcombat.store, okay? Get your shit. You're going you're, you're gonna to love the way we look on your body. 
I guarantee it. Um, for our staff, for our great show, for the ghost of Luke Thomas, two weeks, two weeks. My name is Brian Campbell reminding you, be healthy, be grateful. All right. Take care of this. Take care of this. Okay. This is it. This is, this is, this is what you have. This is it. Okay. The lethal weapon. It's your mind. Take care of it. All right. Be good. Love you. We out.